Let me just pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you this morning. May your anointing abide in this place that has always been and rest upon this place. We'll give you glory and honor. Open up our ears, our hearts and our minds and our eyes to clearly see, understand and hear what you are saying through the work of the Holy Spirit and through your word. I pray today, Father, that we will be changed more in the image of our God, like the moon who does not have its own light, but reflect the light of the sun. May we reflect the light of the sun that lives on the inside of us. And Lord, you, you are glorious. You are magnificent in all that you do. And Father, I ask that you bless your children. These are they that have chosen to love you, serve you, and honor you. And Father, I thank you. I submit my mouth, my mind, my ears, my heart, everything that is within me. I submit it to the work of the Holy Spirit to speak those things that are true, and those things that are pure. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I shared a little bit about who I was last year, and that's another part of me and why I'm so excited about life. Uh, my parents actually moved to Thibodeau uh, in 1979, um, where we grew up. It was a very tough neighborhood to grow up. And what prompted them to move in? My parents are originally from Thibodeau. Dad has a church right there in Thibodeau, right on the corner of Tabernacle, across uh, the street from Thibodeau High School, Tabernacle Love, Tabernacle Love Ministries. I've been working with them for 20 years before coming here. What prompted my family to move to Thibodeau in 1979, there were three events that happened in my life that nearly left me dead on the streets of New Orleans. I was almost killed three separate times. Um, one of which... Uh, as a 16-year-old kid, I, I got saved at 8, but boy, I had some struggles as a kid with self-esteem. I was an introvert, don't like stand up talking with people. When I, when I t it's hard for people to really understand by nature. I'm an introvert. I love being in a room all by myself. I can stay there for hours, and I'm good. And it took the, it took the, the, the power of God to get me to do what I'm doing because there was no way on God's green earth that I, I would be able to do what I'm doing. Shy, scared. And yet three separate times in the city of New Orleans, I, my mom had to literally come to uh, Charity Hospital to watch her son survive in um, emergency room. At 16, I tried to commit suicide because I just it was a tough, tough. I mean, being raised Pentecostal, but having a, a lot of inward struggles because of the environment I was in. Um, I can remember one time. We had three PE classes, and I'm just giving you a little bit about who I am, where I come from, and why I'm so excited about living in Jesus Christ. Uh, in the eighth grade, we, we had about 70 guys on the, on the playground at school, PE class, about four PE classes. Three guys came up on the campus, had a nine-millimeter shot three times in the air and said, we were playing basketball. I said, we got next. Anybody have anything to say? And everybody just took off running to the gym, and I'm standing way in the back of the, the little caged-in basketball court, and I'm the only one standing there. And they're looking at me. I'm looking at them. I'm staring down the barrel of a 9-millimeter on a, on a Tuesday morning in a PE class at, at a junior high school, Alfred Lawless Junior High School. And I just dropped the ball. I, no, I rolled it to him, and then I just disappeared. I was gone. You see this huge, big old black cloud of smoke just still standing there. And, and it's just... Mom said, we got to get you out the city. I'm one of 10 kids. Um, and just, and if the, here's a secret I want you to understand. If the devil could have killed you, which he really wants to, he could have had the opportunity to kill you. But the mere fact that you're still here lets you know there's a flaw to his game. He'd have killed you a long time ago if he could have. But the reason why you're still here is because God said not so. And every morning you wake up, you need to wake up living on purpose. 
You didn't get up on your own strength this morning. You didn't roll out the bed because you decided this is what you wanted to do. There is something in every sunrise that the father wants to reveal to his children. And don't let the sun set until you know for sure why you were able to see this day when everybody, when a lot of people did not. Live your life on purpose. Live your life purposeful and purposely. And when you do that, then certain people will not come in your life and lead you certain places you don't want to go. Choices that you will make will be choices made because you understand why you are here for such a time as this. Does this resonate with anybody? Amen? Amen. So I've learned to live my life on purpose. And I have such a joy and a quest for living. I'm just excited. My kids know when they walk into my classroom, it is they have no clue what they're about to be hit with. And I love it. Stuff that happened when I'm being observed by my principal, I apologize, but that's not in the lesson plan. But it was, but it was good because it was God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's jump into the lesson. Uh, lesson four. What are we going to, what are we, what are we going to be talking about today? What are we talking about? Anybody? Hands. Oh, by the way, for those who know, again, this is an interactive Bible study. I don't want you to sit up here an hour and listen to me and you look at me like, when is this dude ever going to shut up? No. God give you something in the midst of the lesson, slam those hands up, and man, let me hear what God is saying. And I, look, I know how to chase rabbits, know how to get back to the original hole, okay? So God give you something, raise your hand, something you connect with, something you, you um, reinforces what you believe or what God has done, get that hand up and we'd like to hear from you because I, I need you to bless me as well, okay? So what are we talking about today? Hands. <clears throat> I see a hand. What are we talking about today? Anybody? Anybody? Yes. The sufficiency of scripture. What does the word sufficient means? Sufficient. Enough. Anybody else? Sufficient. Huh? Adequate. Very good. You know, I don't know. These are some big fellas over here. And I can only imagine um, me having to take these guys to Golden Corral and paying for that bill. Because these boys going to eat until it's sufficient. You know what I'm saying? There's some big boys, man. And, and yet, when we talk about the sufficiency of scriptures, we're talking about the scripture is everything that you will ever, ever need. The Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. That's exactly what it is. Basic instruction before leaving earth. Huh? I'll take it. It works. <laughs> it works. It works. So what we want to do is take a look at uh, the basic understanding of the scriptures. Now, why? What are some of the things you guys have heard from people who are not inclined to believe that the Bible, me, that the Bible is what it says it is? What are some of the, 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 the haters of the Bible? What are some of the things you heard them say about the Bible? Anybody? Yes. It's fiction. Written by man. Written by man. And so therefore, if it's written, huh? Translated over and over again, so it's possible that maybe some some truth lost in that translation. Uh, anybody else? I've, a book of contradiction. Um, Lee Strobel. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this author, Lee Strobel. He got a book called The Case for Christ. My seniors who are getting ready to graduate and are getting ready to hit these secular college and university, we're doing a whole study with Lee Strobel on the case for Christ. And he goes in and remember, his wife got saved. He was an atheist. He worked as, uh, with the New York Times or New York Tribune or New York Times. One of the two. Huh? 
Yeah. As an investigative reporter. And when he his wife, when he finally went to church with his wife, um, he went with his notepad and all of his investigative techniques to destroy the Bible and to destroy the writers of who Jesus is to dis- to make fun of and say, this is not true. And well, of course, the Bible said, if you search the scriptures in it, you will find truth. And you dance around with the water, you're going to get wet, play around fire, you're going to get burned. And that's what happened. He wound up getting saved. And then he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And in that book, he just, all of the arguments for that were uh, as a testimony uh, against the, the four writers of the gospel, of the life of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection. He just takes us through every section of how he investigates a murder. We're looking at the intent of eyewitnesses and go through and how he refutes all of these arguments. And, and we're just having an incredible time with our seniors. And we're not doing that with any other age group because our seniors are getting ready to graduate and hit those college universities. There. And our universities have literally become a hotbed for secular humanistic f- philosophical thought. And... Um, in the process of doing uh, teaching on with my uh, 10th, 11th, 10th and 11th graders, we're doing uh, understanding the times. We're looking at five worldviews, four worldviews compared to a biblical worldview, secular humanism, New Age, Islam, and Marxism. And five, uh, nine different areas, theology, econo- uh, economics, ethics, um, uh, psychology, uh, sociology, and we address all those. How does all these four worldviews answer the issue of theology? What about God? How does the second humanist answer the issue of God? A, a Marxist compared to a biblical worldview. Why? Because we need, we need, they, the young people need to hear and understand when they hear a certain philosophical belief system come out of some mind, they can identify what that worldview is and then know where the scriptures is and how to go after that and speak truth. Because of the sufficiency of Christ. So this is what our kids are getting at the 10th and the 11th grade. These worldviews. And let me tell you something. It has literally not only transformed their lives, but it transformed mine as well. Because I know I was in a chair and a desk as a 10th grader, 11th grader. And boy, I wish somebody had taught that to me. Okay. So we're going to take a look at the sufficiency of, of, uh, of Scripture. Before we do that, can you put up Matthew chapter 4? Let's take a look at that in the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 4. I wonder if my TVs went off. Okay. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. All right. Now, Jesus has just been baptized by his first cousin, John. John made a statement when he saw Jesus coming. Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. He is the one that I testified of. And so Jesus comes in the water. He tells John to baptize him. John feels very, uh, he don't feel like he's worthy to baptize. He said, John, you must do that. He baptizes him, come out of the water. The clouds open up. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. So in one event, one story, you see the, tri- the, tri- the Trinity. God speaks. He's speaking of the son coming out of the water. And the Holy Spirit sits upon him. And then the Bible says immediately, here it is. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and Became very hungry. During that time of his fasting, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, I want everybody to read. Read verse 4. What does it say? What's the key here? Jesus being the Word reminds the enemy about what the Word says. It says here, But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, bread alone, but every word that comes out from the mouth of God to, um, 
took care of Jesus. All right, continue. Did you? All right. Then the devil took him to a whole, the, to the holy city, Jerusalem, uh, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, notice what it is. For the scriptures say, he will order his, his angels to protect you and they will, they will hold you up with their hands, uh, so you won't hurt, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures say, now notice both Satan and Jesus in verse six and seven both repeat what the scriptures say, but look what Satan's doing with the scriptures. He's trying to twist it. He's trying to turn it, trying to get you to do something because even in the Garden of Eden, Satan repeated to Eve what God had told to Adam and what Adam told Eve. So even the enemy knows the scriptures and know how to use it to twist it and to trap you and to deceive you. He will use scriptures. He don't use scriptures on on sinners. He used scriptures to trap and to trick and deceive believers. Because if we don't have a right understanding of the scripture, we can make the scriptures say anything. And that's why we must read it in its context and its clear understanding. Let the scriptures say what the scripture is saying. Okay? Wow, that's good. Verse 8. Next the devil took him to him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Next verse. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, three times Jesus went to the word. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Go back to verse, the verse before that, the slide before that. And I want to show him something. Um, look at verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms. One illustration said he showed him all the fame, the fortune, the lights, the glamour and the glit of this world. And all of his glory, he says, I will give it all to you. Now, it's interesting that Satan can be as bold and naive and stupid to actually believe he he is getting he can offer what the one who stands before him created it all. Now, arrogance? No. If Satan could offer that to Jesus, he can offer to anybody who serves him. Because in Corinthians, I think it's in Corinthians or Colossians says, and Satan who is the God of this world. He has the power to offer that. Yes, he does. But here's the problem. At the end of the journey, you got to pay him. If you hire a DJ at your party, when the party's over, he's going to ask for his payment. Some of them ask for the payment before they start doing what they're doing. But you're going to have to pay and pay dearly. And I always when I read that, I like to get to that part because the arrogance of Satan to believe he can offer Jesus what he created because it is his. He can offer that. So in all three cases, it's not in your notes, but I wanted to see uh, the sufficiency of the scriptures from Jesus perspective. Because remember, in John chapter one, it says in the beginning was the word. The word was what God and the word was God. And the word was with God from the beginning. And we know that the word, as we read, read down in John chapter one, was Jesus Christ. And so he he echoed. So if Jesus had the ability to stay the hand of the enemy against any temptation by using the scripture, here is the key. Your best offensive weapon, your only offensive weapon in spiritual warfare against an enemy who wants to destroy you, against an enemy who wants to destroy you whom you cannot see and you know he's real, is the Bible. Because Ephesians 6 and 10 tells us about the armor that he's, be, he's given us. And every armor is to repel, 
But there's only one armor he's been given. He's given us. And that is the sword of the spirit. And you don't use the sword unless you're ready to hurt somebody and take somebody out. And that is the word of God. And Satan knows if you make light of the scriptures and don't really make it an adequate or uh, a consistent part of our lives. He knows he can deceive us in our in any area of our lives. So let's look at it. God's word is sufficient to meet every need of the human soul. David verifies this in Psalms chapter 19, verse 7 through 14, which is what we're going to use to break down um, the, the sufficiency of the scriptures. The most comprehensive statement regarding the sufficiency of scriptures. It is an inspired statement about the scripture as qualified as a qualified guide for every situation. Now, I want now what I want you to do, if you have a pencil or a highlighter or an ink pen or something, I want you to underline this because I want to emphasize this. First of all, scripture contains, I want you to underline this, divine comprehend. The scripture contains divine comprehensive. Scripture, the scripture, I'm sorry, the scripture is comprehensive. I'm sorry. The scripture is comprehensive. Under, and underline this, containing everything needed for spiritual life. The scripture contains. Is comprehensive. Containing everything needed. For our spiritual life. The scripture is also. True regarding all things that matters. True regarding all things that matter. Now, I skip one. Let me go back up one line. It says uh, the scripture contains divine principles. That's the one we're going to look at. The scripture contains divine principles. It's comprehensive, containing everything needed for spiritual life. It contains divine principles that are the best guide for building character and conduct. For building character and conduct. Say character and conduct. Okay. The third one. Scripture is this one. I want you on the line. True regarding all things that matter the scripture is true regarding all things that matter so not only is it comprehensive what i need for my spiritual life it is it has divine principles that help guide me and form my character and my conduct the scripture is true regarding all things that matter for it is capable of producing righteousness it is capable of producing righteousness why? And finally, because it meets every need in life. Comprehensive, divine principles, build character and conduct. It is true and it produces righteousness. Now think about this. If the scriptures can do all of that, think about if a person never opens the book to read the scriptures and apply and to learn it. I tell my kids all the time, stop reading the Bible. They looked at me like, what? Stop reading it. You need to study it. You need to study it. It is only the application. It is only the, the dissecting, the cross-referencing, reading it in its history, reading it in its context, looking at certain words from a Hebrew and a Greek standpoint. When you get in and begin to study the word, the word then becomes, it comes like a light when the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. So if all of these is the end result of what the word can do for us, think about people who don't make the word of God an integral part of their lives. What do you mean? What happens? Then here's the problem. They don't have what they need for spiritual life. Those principles, they, they, their character and conduct will pretty much re represent the world's philosophy. Okay. They won't know what truth is because now truth to them becomes relative. It becomes subjective. 
Truth is subjected to me because I have my truth, you have yours. And you do not have the right to tell me that I'm wrong. So when you don't allow the word of God to become the sufficient guide for what truth is, then truth becomes relative and subjective. Okay? Because the Bible says God's moral compass is, is absolute. And that, that's where the big struggle is with the world and the word. And also, we won't, we'll not have everything that we need. One of the things that I will jump right into script. One of the things I heard from um, the Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady, who was listening to a, uh, uh, an interview at one of our chap. Tom Brady was listening to his testimony and he said, you know, you have the car, you have the life, you have the career, you have the, 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 the salary. You have an ultimate four Super Bowls, five now, I think five. Um, he said, what's next? And listening to this guy, and, 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 and it stunned our teenagers to hear what he said. He says, well, he said, yes, that's, that's true, but there's got to be something else out there. It's got to be something more than this. In other words, it wasn't what he was saying that caught my attention. It's what he wasn't saying. What he wasn't saying was, yes, I have the wife, the house, the car, the job, the money. I've got it all, five rings. But for me, I'm still empty. For me, I haven't found something that satisfies me. And, the, and the, the, most of our athletes went, what? Are you not? Let me tell you something. All these things in this life are cheap substitutes for Jesus Christ. If all that stuff could really make us happy, why are so many people who have it all so miserable? Because they don't have what they really need. Every human longs to know whether they want to recognize it or not to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we fill our lives with stuff that really don't do it. And we chase after things that leaves us hungry and thirsty. And when we get it, we go like, is this all there is to it? I thought it was more than this. Well, let's look at Psalms chapter 19, verse 7 through 11. And this is where we're going to break this down. For the law of the Lord is what? It's perfect. What does it do to the soul? It says the testimony of the Lord is what? Making wise the what? The precepts of the Lord are what? What it cause the heart to do? The commandments of the Lord is what? What does it do to the eyes? It enlightens it. The fear of the Lord is what? It endures for how long? The rules of the Lord are what? And the righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warm. In keeping them, there is great what? David says, when I understand the sufficiency of the scriptures and the law, and the, the law, the Lord, I delight in it because I'm warned also that if I don't put it in my heart, it's going to leave me desiring and wanting something that's going to leave me empty and dry. But when I take it in, it gives me great reward. So what's the first thing we need to take a look at? The scripture is what? Perfect, restoring the soul. The word perfect here is translated in the Hebrew, underline this, the word meaning whole complete or sufficient whole complete or sufficient 
When David said that the scripture is perfect, he says the word for the for restoring the soul. It is my soulish realm that is complete. It is my soulish realm that 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 is whole. It is the soulish realm that makes me sufficient. Remember last week we talked about the three parts of man: body, soul, spirit. The soulish realm of us is the seat of our passions, our desires, our mind, which is our logic and our reasoning and our intellect. The Dave, David the psalmist says. It is that portion of me that when I receive God's word, when I read it, it takes my passion and I'm satisfied. I don't chase stuff all over trying to satisfy my, my desires. I found my, David said, my delight is in the light of the Lord. And I meditate on his word both day and night. He says, not only is my, it's, it's the seed of my, my passion, my desires, man, when you understand the scriptures, it allows you your desires to be fulfilled. It allows your desires to be whole or complete. Even if you don't get the job, the raise, the girl, the guy, or that truck or whatever, what you have is enough to where, Lord, I, I don't have to have all that stuff because my desire is to please you, not to please myself. Wrong desires causes us to chase after things that leaves us empty and wanting more i am complete so many <laughs> so many of us get married wanting to be completed that's a lot of pressure on him or her amen amen that's a lot of pressure and then when they get married were well, you supposed to complete me how am i how can i complete you when i'm not completed but when, and kids ask me all the time, Coach, how did you meet Miss Fry? Tell us a little bit. Man, it was crazy because when I, when I got to high school, moved here, went to E.D. White, I heard, talked to her on the phone the night before. I'd never seen her. She'd never seen me. But she wasn't saved. I was. And i never forget, on the first day of school, I met E.D. White. I came to the back of the, the school, came and hit the hallway, turned, and then she came in the front. And man, it was a long hallway. On the other end, I turned and looked in her eyes, and she looked in mine. I'm like, oh, Snap, that is my wife. She had never met me before. Now, I didn't tell her that. I dared not. Mama didn't raise a fool. And I walked up and I introduced myself. I said, how you, you, you know how you, young guys are? <clears throat> how you doing now? My name's Freddie. It's good to see you. <laughs> Ladies, you won't understand. It's a guy thing, right? Okay. Guys, give me that thing. Ooh, one, two, three. That's what I'm talking about. It's a guy thing. And she just looked at me, and I've always had these boyish little baby features, right? I'm a junior. And she says, um, are you a freshman? I just, all the air just went, <laughs> The air just completely went. I'm like, no, girl, I'm a junior. What you talking about? And I pursued her. She was a senior. I was a junior. I pursued her and pursued her and pursued her and just didn't work. It didn't work. And God says, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Freddie, here's what I want you to understand. You're trying to get her heart. I have your heart, but I don't have hers. You will never get her heart until I have it. It's plastic. I was trying to, you know how we compromise? Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I'm like, God, and I've been hearing that scripture the whole time. I'm trying to date her and said, do not be unequally. But Lord, I could win her to you. I could talk about Jesus. And this girl is just too fine and too cute to be just letting go. And Jesus, and the Holy Spirit said, I don't have a heart, Freddie. And if I don't have a heart, you won't get it. 
So stop it. I took my whole year pursuing something that I could not get. And then at the end of the year, I let her go. I said, you know what? <laughs> Apparently, I'm not what you want. So let's, let's say our goodbyes. Went through the whole summer. But even during the school year, when we did talk, I talked a lot about my faith, talked a lot about Jesus Christ. And I didn't know that that was working on her. At the end of the summer, I moved on. I was hurt, boy. I mean, just, I was like, this girl is stupid. She's so stupid. She's a heathen. But little did I know, she was searching for Jesus Christ. She was out there with her girlfriends, out there in the club, drinking and stuff. Yeah, Miss Fry. Yeah, that little thing sitting right next to me. But she a powerful evangelist today. She loved Jesus. And at the end of the summer, and I'm mad because I just took a whole year of my life and just, just messed mess around with her. And then summer, she called me. I'm like, hello? Who is this? This is Nadine. And, you know, I'm hurt, so I'm like, what you want? <laughs> and she just went, she went, um, I just need to talk. There's nothing to talk about. Yeah, I, last night I gave my heart and life to Jesus. What? <laughs> you did what? She said, well, can we talk? Can you come on? I said, sure. So I jumped on my bike. Boy, and I went over there, man. Dude, I went flying over there. Why are y'all laughing? I didn't have a car. I had a bike. I told that story to my kids. They were on the floor. And one girl went, coach, wait a minute. Coach, you were a junior and you didn't have a car. You had a bike? Oh, no, of course. I said, well, you wouldn't have been for me for sure. I still, I love that bike. And we went over there, and i never forget that. And we talked for three or four hours about this newfound life, this her life in Jesus Christ. And from there, from that point on, Nadine and I dated five years before we got married. We've been married for 31 uh, years, 31 years. I've been knowing that one young lady for 36 years of my life. But it wouldn't have worked unless God had a hold of that girl's life and her heart. And when, and she says this all the time. She said, when I looked at you, man, I was like a buck 45 at 6'4". I turned sideways. You couldn't even see me. I was putting it down in basketball, though. You know what I'm saying? I was doing my thing. But she was, she had this vision. I mean, she liked guys with muscles. They were big. She liked money, cars. And I had none of that. I'm going to see her on a bike. <laughs> gentlemen, ladies are cruel sometimes. They, they know how to hurt you, gentlemen. We just pray for the ladies. You know what she told me? It was so, uh, just, she said, Freddie, when I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, God showed me your heart. And I fell in love with that. I said, I ain't had nothing else. <laughs> she said, stop it. You know what I'm talking about. But she said, yeah, I fell in love with your heart. She said, before I came to Jesus, I couldn't see your heart. But when God saved me, he showed me your heart. She says, oh, I want that. I want that heart. And everything else that come with that. Okay, moving right along in the scriptures. <laughs> the scripture is comprehensive, embodying all that is necessary to one's spiritual life. David's, David's implied contrast with the imperfection, insufficiency, flaw of human reasoning. Now, I want to show you something, human reasoning. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, you don't have that, but I want to bring this out. Put that up, Chuck, if you don't mind. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, we're talking about the reasoning of humanity, of man. It says, don't let anyone capture you with the empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Give me the next translation. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. 
according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. Give me the next translation. The NIV. See that no one takes you, wow, captive. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. How does uh, the NIV describe the philosophy of this world? He says it is hollow and deceptive. What does that hollow and deceptive philosophy have the ability to do? Hold you captive. Now you wonder why there is such a struggle in our culture today with ideology and people are willing to kill you because you don't think like they think or you don't agree with them. Because the philosophies they have is hollow and deceptive and they will kill you today if you don't agree with them. It's coming to a time, and I believe it is now, where the, our culture is going to be so against Christianity because we will not change the truth of what we live by because it's not ours to change. Wow. Which depends on human tradition and the ele- elemental uh, spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. He's, boy, the NIV, the NIV brings it up. The philosophy that of this world is deceptive and hollow. And it depends on human tradition and is and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. The demonic force of this world and its thoughts and its thinking, its philosophy has now caused us to, to live the way we're living in this culture and around the world. And then finally, the King James Version said, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And we have one more, Chuck. All right, look at the Message Bible. I love the Message Bible. Look what it says. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Go, go ahead with what you've been given. Paul is saying this to the church, the, the church members at Colossians, the Christians at Colossians. By the way, Colossae was a Greek city-state. If you know anything about Greek philosophy, whoo, that was a crazy culture sexually. If you know anything about Greek mythology, it was crazy. And he says, and everything was these gods and, tra- and, and, and traditions of men and Greek. And Paul s- established a church right in the midst of that culture. And he's telling these believers in that culture who came out of that culture, believe in multiple gods, uh, sexual perversion. They came out of that into Christ. And Paul says, look, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you have been given. You receive Christ Jesus, the master. Now, now you receive, live in him. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject. And now let's start living it. Wow. Wow. And let your living spill over into Thanksgiving. Next. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to what? They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of human beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him. Somebody say in him. So you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope or microscope or horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ. The emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends, extends over everything. Is that it? Boy, is that incredible or what? Oh, you may want to write that down. It's Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, if you want to go back and look at that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. We're going to get rolling. If you want to go back and study that. That is a staunch warning. To, and I believe that the Colossi, 
the Colossae church in that culture, as well as Ephesus, as well as Corinth, those cities were reflective of what our culture is today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, or 6 through 10. You can go back and put it in your study, okay? So, Scripture affects people restoring the soul. The Hebrew word for restore has the meaning of converting, refreshing, and transforming. The word soul refers to one person's self or heart. The essence of this inner person, the whole person, the real you. That's why, gentlemen, I, I love you guys' testimony. I love coming to the graduation because you are a reminder to all of us that chasing after the substance in which the world says we're supposed to have because it makes us feel good, you are a testimony over and over again and remind us with your life that unless Christ is at the center of it, nothing else works. You speaks volume. You guys speaks volume to us and said, guys, once you find Jesus Christ, don't chase after other things. But wow. as a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you chase after me, other things automatically come. If you chase after me, he makes all this other stuff. He said, well, man, I have a desire to do this. I want to do that. Well, guess what? He placed the desire there. But he will never put the desire nor the stuff before him in you. He has to be the center of it all. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, uh, and his kingdom and all these other things that God has placed as a desire in your heart. He's going to give it. Why? Why would he give it to you after he has become the first place? Because he knows that if he gives it to you, it's not going to pull you away from him. Why would I give my child something that I know is going to harm them? Ooh, that was good. And if God is no, no different, being perfect and righteous and holy, why would he give you something that he knows is going to pull you away from him and turn your eyes away from him? He says, I know what you want, but I can't give that to you because I'm still trying to be the object of your affection. It's crazy, dude, when I put Christ the center of my life, how I just walked into stuff. I didn't even have to ask for it. Just boom, bam, bam, because the favor of God rests upon you. Now, I don't serve him to get the stuff. The stuff followed my obedience to him. Make sense? Amen. Amen. Questions, comments? Don't leave me up here by myself. Y'all with me? All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Number two. Not only, number one, not is the scripture perfect in restoring the soul, but the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the what? Simple. You know, I, I love this. I say this all the time. I am, boy, I'm not smart enough to get out of a paper bag that's open with a hole on the bottom of it. Now you would think, boy, that's simple. I mean, you got an open top and an open bottom. Dude, just, just fall out the bag. Just crawl, take a pick. Front, back. But you know what? I say that not to belittle myself, but I say that because I, I've come to totally trust on the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit. Because we have a tendency from time to time to think that we're all that. Yeah, we do. And I don't ever want to walk in that type of, type of pride. Man, I, every time before I get on the sideline to coach a basketball game, I slip away in the locker room after my kids warm up and I'm on my knees. Lord, I need your help tonight. I need your wisdom to coach these young men. I don't know how to do this. I've been doing this 30-something years. Lord, I don't know how to do this without your wisdom. I may say the wrong thing to them. I may hurt them or bruise them in my, in my intensity to compete. 
but I need you to guide my tongue. I need you to give me eyes beyond my natural vision so I can see what I need these kids to do. And I said, Lord, win or lose, we're still going to glorify you. But I need your wisdom tonight. Before I stand before you, I always ask the Lord to give me wisdom to teach. Give me wisdom to be a great husband. Give me wisdom to be a great father. Give me wisdom to be a great son. I need your wisdom for everything in my life. God, give me wisdom to know how to catch a redfish. I've been working that wisdom lately. Yeah, I, I, I need him in every aspect of my life, and you should need him in every aspect of your life. It says that for the testimony speaks as the scriptures of divine witness of who God is and what he requires of us. The word sure, when it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word sure means his testimony is what? Unwavering, underline that. Immovable, underline that. Unmistakable, underline it. Reliable, underline it. And worthy to be what? Trusted. God always says what he means and means what he says. You can trust it. For he did not follow cleverly devised myths according to Second Peter 1, 16-19. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths. When we make known, we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitness of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we read earlier. We ourselves heard this very voice. They're testifying that they heard it. They heard the same voice. They're giving eyewitness to it. Voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have something... Something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as the lamp shining in the dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. God wants our faith to be based on scripture, not merely on our personal experience. In the phrase making wise the simple, the word simple comes from the the expression meaning an open door. It gives us the image of a naive person who does not know when to shut his mind to to shut his mind or to uh, mind to false or impure teachings. In other words, when he says the word of God makes sure the simple, he says to those who are struggling, trying to figure life out. The word of God comes and gives you all the answers to the test. If the answer in test question number nine is B. Why would you put a? If the answer on the exam for number 12 is C, why would you put D? He has given us all the answers to the exam. We just need to put the answers and fill in the blank with the correct word. Wow. God makes a simple, naive person wise. Number three, the scripture is right. And what does it do? Causing joy. David says this, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will take delight in the law of the Lord. Man, I, there, look, <laughs> I've been ministering for 30-something years, you know, saved since I was 8, 55 now, but to turn 56. And, and as much as I've gone through that Bible, it is still something I stumble upon. I just go, whoa, I didn't see that. Anybody here ever experienced that? Man, or, or here's another one. You've read a scripture over and over again. You know the familiar scripture. And all of a sudden, in a season of your life, that, that scripture just pops. Anybody? It's like, whoa, I get this now. 
See, that's what you need to understand about the scripture. I don't care how long you are saved. That God, the majesty of who he is, is so wide and so deep and so high that you could never figure God out. And he's always revealing different parts of the scriptures and revealing himself to us. So we always got to keep coming back to the water, coming back to the well, just drinking. Man, that's good. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. Boy, I saw I never saw that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing that to me. Wow. Wow. God makes the simple, naive person wise. Number three, the scripture is right causing joy. The scripture being right describes, underline this, finding the right what? Path. Is anybody in here on a journey? It's all of us. Yeah. Okay. The truth of scripture lay out the proper path through the difficult maze of life. So many people today are distressed because they lack direction and purpose. Remember when I pray for you today? That you will live your life on purpose. But you got to seek the giver of the purpose so that he can give you the purpose of your existence. Wow. Wow. God's word not only provides the light to our path, also underline this, but also sets the route before us. Please underline or highlight that. Because God's word steers us through the right course of life. His word brings us great joy. Let me tell you something. I, I'm so excited to know. I get to hang out with you guys on Sunday. I get to worship with you guys on Sunday. Of all the places I could be worshiping, I'm hanging out with you all. And I just, that's awesome. And you know what's crazy? They say, I almost didn't get here. Because I told God that leaving my father's church and coming 15 minutes up the road when I know my season was up over there. I was gearing to head out to Atlanta. Man, I was going to Nashville. I was going to Memphis. Boy, I had my bags packing ready going. One night, I was sleeping. Holy Spirit woke me up and says, if you go to Nashville and Atlanta, I'm not going with you because you will be out of my will. And I told you. By this time, I was already teaching at, at Homer Christian at least, three, at least three years. And he said, I sent you the living word because there's some things I need to do, some things I need you to learn, some things I need you to experience. And I told him that didn't make sense. Why would I leave 15 minutes from my own church and come up here? And he said, if you leave and go to Nashville and go to Atlanta, I'm not going with you. And the trouble you're going to get into, I ain't going to be there to get you out of it because you're not listening to my voice. And I heard the voice and it sounded like my wife talking. And I rose up and I went, what did you say? And she was. I'm like, wow, he used a familiar voice to get my attention. In other words, he used my wife's voice to say this. I'm your wife speaking to you. Don't lead us in a direction where God is not because we have babies. I'm trusting you, Freddie. Don't leave. That's what God was doing when he when I heard her voice, when he used her voice. And because I love her, I don't want to put my family in harm's way or do something. I'm out of the will of God. And he used that voice to get my attention. I'm like, OK, God, I'm, I love this girl. I love my babies. By that time, they were all small. I'm going to stay right where you want me to be. Boy, God is awesome. He's awesome. And then finally, as we get ready to close, number four, the commandment of the Lord is what? Enlightening the eyes. The word commandment stresses the Bible's non-optional nature, not optional nature. It is a book of suggestions. It is not a book of suggestions. It is divine mandates. uh, Underline these two authoritative and binding. It is sure enough. Pure can be translated as the next statement, clear. God's word is always clear to us. It brings understanding in the place of ignorance. It enlightens. Here's the one I want you to understand. Eyes 
of our understanding. It enlightens the eyes of our understanding. So we see that the commandment of the Lord is not only pure, it is authoritative, it's clear, but it also gives us understanding. And finally, the scripture is clean, enduring forever. David uses the word fear, underline the word fear, to describe God's word. Fear speaks of reverential awe for God and his word that compels us to worship him. It's not like that movie in uh, The Lion King when the hyena said Mufasa and was scared. No, not that. Not like that. It brings a reverential fear. Lord, I, I, I honor your name. And because I respect and revere your name, there are places I refuse to go because it's going to bring disrespect to your most powerful name. And I'm here on earth as an ambassador to your holiness. Wow. So the word translate clean speaks of the absence of impurity. Please underline that. The word clean speaks of absence of impurity. Scripture is without evil. Here's the four things. And we close. The scripture is without number one, evil. Number two, corruption. Number three, error. And number four, it is flawless. Flawless. That's what the scripture is. Many people believe the Bible is outdated. Or it's not sophisticated enough for our educated society. Scripture needs no updating, no editing, no refining. Whatever time or culture you live in, it is eternally relevant. Its truths are enduring for every generation. Amen. Amen. I pray that the word of God has been a blessing for you. And I pray that you go back and spend some time with the emphasis of what I told you to to highlight because this when I was starting the lesson, those are the things that jumped out at me. And I just want to pray for you now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. May the word of God become alive in all of our hearts. These are your sons and daughters, king's children. Reveal to us the path. Make your word and your path clean to us and pure to us. And may the word of God guide our steps. I pray that the rest of the week you will go before them, that you will show them the purpose of why they are living for this time and this moment. Lord, as we worship you in the sanctuary, may your anointing fill the place. Anoint Pastor Renee, and as our worship team stand before the congregation, lead us into your presence. And as we gather around the altars, God, let no need go unmet because you're God and you're the sufficient one. We love you, we honor you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go worship our King. God bless you. Love you guys.